Hey, did you know that plastic is produced with oil? A fossil fuel that pollutes the environment. Wouldn't it just be awesome if we could live our lives without plastic? Well, there's a company that wants to help you do just that. Life Without Plastic. They sell products that will reduce or eliminate your dependence on plastic. They have a large selection of products like toothbrushes, food storage containers, drinking straws. And the best part is that they're also very reasonably priced. So what are you waiting for? Check out all these great plastic-free products and help save the planet. Just click on the link in the show notes to find out more and to start your journey to being plastic-free. friends and welcome back to the podcast. I'm Paul and last week I went a little bit long jabbering about Iceland. It's such an amazing place, a beautiful place and I had just had so much information I want to share with you about my wandering when I went to Iceland. So I split the episode into two and so this is part two. If you haven't listened to part one yet, I highly recommend going back, listening to part one. You'll learn a lot about the land of fire and ice, and you understand why they call it that. I talk about the volcanoes, the hot springs, the everything that makes it the land of fire. And this week, I'm talking a little bit about the ice part the cold part. And I do also talk a little bit about the highlands. So thanks for coming back. Thanks for joining me. And like I said, if you didn't listen to part one, I encourage you to do that. So welcome to part two of The Land of Fire and Ice. Now, we did go to another area in Iceland that also showed this, this heat, this fire. It was geysers. You would go to this area, another very touristy area where we had to deal with the crowds, but that was pretty much everywhere in Iceland. That's their second biggest industry is tourism there. So we went to these geysers and we walked up into this field, this hilly region, and there were these areas where you could just, once again, you smelled the sulfur, you knew there were hot springs around, you could see the different hot springs. And all of a sudden we saw all these people standing around this fenced in area, they just had a rope, it wasn't an actual fence, they had a rope going around this area and people are standing around this rope and so we figured, well, this must be where we're supposed to be. We went over to the rope and we're just standing there and you could see the hot spring bubbling. Then all of a sudden you get this big like bubble in the middle and it shoots up in the air. Yeah, the water actually shot up in the air. What's happening is you have all this pressure building underneath the ground from the hot spring. And eventually the pressure just builds so much that it just has to release. And where does it go? Straight up in the air. So we had this geyser that went up about 50 feet in the air. It's just amazing. Now I was reading a sign and they're actually saying that this geyser is 
less dependable than Old Faithful, but it does shoot higher than Old Faithful. They were comparing some of the other geysers around the world. So this was a pretty good, not the biggest geyser, but it was one of the largest geysers. They had some smaller ones too at this place. So it was a really interesting place to go and see these geysers. Now, because of the shifting, they had a really big geyser at this area, but in the past year, it stopped shooting water up. And the reason is because of the shifting of the plates, the shifting of the ground, the cracks are moving. And so this other one, the second one became bigger. And the one that used to be the big popular one that everyone would always watch did pretty much nothing now. So really interesting to see how all of this geothermal activity under the ground is causing all these things to happen from hot springs to heating houses um, to creating electricity. Think of a steam engine, how when the steam's going up through, it actually turns the wheels. Well, that's how they're creating electricity with this geothermal. So the whole country has a lot of the geothermal helping them to create electricity, helping them to give you warm water, heat your houses. Uh, it's just amazing how they can do this. Very green, very environmentally friendly as well. Fossil fuels, who needs them? Why do you need them? You have all this free electricity or inexpensive electricity. They do have to create it, so they do have to pay for that. Uh, but it's much cheaper than you'll get in the U.S. here. So I've talked a lot about the fire part of the land of fire and ice. What about the ice part? Well, I did mention a little bit about the winters in Iceland. It does get cold there. You get some pretty bad wind storms and snowstorms and ice storms. It's not the only reason that it's called the land of fire and ice. The other reason is there are glaciers there. Yeah, we actually visited a glacier. Now, I've seen a glacier before. I went to Glacier National Park several years back with my wife, and my brother and I hiked all the way to the top of a mountain just to see a glacier. Now, I was impressed because I've never actually been that close to a glacier, but I was also a little bit disappointed because it wasn't very big, which also made me sad because I know about how climate change and the warming of the earth is melting the glaciers at an unprecedented speed. You could actually see it was almost like a, a river flowing out from this glacier. But the glacier was rather small, but it was still considered a glacier. And there were other glaciers in the park. We did see them, we just didn't walk up to them. That's the only one that we actually walked up to, my brother and I did. Uh, this is a different brother, not the one who lives in Iceland, but we did get to see that. Now, I did get to visit another glacier because my wife didn't get to go with us up the mountain to see the glacier in Glacier National Park. So I wanted her to actually see a glacier, and I am so glad we decided to make the trip to the southeastern part, middle part of Iceland. Okay, it was... A lot further, it was, a, it was probably about an hour and a half drive to get to this glacier. But we got to this glacier, parked in the parking lot, and we're walking over to it. And I'm kind of having my head to expect what I kind of saw in 
Glacier National Park. As soon as we got over the ridge and I saw this glacier, I was just blown away. You could see, they, and they looked very small, you could see people in all their gear climbing on top of this glacier. Now, my wife and I decided not to do it this time, but we might go back and do that at some point. It was just huge. It was enormous. And this was just part of a larger glacier. This was like one of the legs coming down off of the larger glacier. Matter of fact, the largest glacier in Europe is found in Iceland. And this was the southern part of that large glacier. So it was really amazing to see this. It was like a big mountain of ice in front of us. Now, of course, you do have rock mountain on the sides. So it's like it was squeezing its way through. And then, of course, you have a river down below it, which we walked along the river for a little while. And you have these big chunks of ice floating in the river as well. Now, I... I probably shouldn't say floating because they really weren't moving much. So I think they were grounded, but there are chunks of ice that broke off the glacier and they were sitting there in the river. And of course, if you paid for a tour, they did have where you could kayak right up to these icebergs, if you want to call them that, in the water there. So you could actually go through. Boy, I can imagine how cold that water was, though. Uh, matter of fact, I don't have to wonder because... I actually went over to the river and I put my hands in and yes, it was very, very cold. Now, when we were at this glacier, it was probably in the upper 60s that day. And I'm talking Fahrenheit, not Celsius. So it was upper 50s. So we had our sweatshirts on when we went up to it. And we walked right up to the glacier. I actually walked a little bit onto it. There were warning signs not to go on the glacier unless you had the proper equipment. They rented out the equipment, but you needed to go with the guide. And we just didn't want to do that this time. We had other destinations. I didn't want to spend the whole day at the glacier. But someday we're going back and I'm going to do that. You have to have the spikes on your shoes. They had the special crampon shoes. Um, you had your your hammer, spike hammer. Uh, you had to wear a helmet, all that. So we weren't going to go on the glacier, but there was a small section that came down almost to ground level. And I did walk up on that section because I wanted to feel the glacier. There was a chunk of ice right next to it and I picked it up and held it in my hand. It was almost like crystal clear. So there was no impurities in this ice. It was like crystal clear ice. It was just beautiful. It was amazing. We spent probably a good half an hour, 45 minutes taking pictures, walking around this glacier, um, looking at it. But then a couple of tour buses pulled in and the crowds came and that's when we decided to head on out. So like I said earlier, I'm not big on crowds. I don't like a lot of people when I'm out. See, but unfortunately, to see some of these sites, you got to put up with the crowds. After we were at the glacier, we headed further on up the coast. And we stopped along the coast. And we went to a couple of the black sand beaches. Remember, volcanoes, volcanic ash, volcanic rock, black so as it breaks down, you have sand, 
black sand beaches. So we did go to a couple of the black sand beaches, which were just amazing. So like my wife was saying, where else can you go and visit a glacier one day and then go to the beach that same day within an hour? <laughs> Not many places. So it was pretty amazing to do that. It was kind of neat to see that. Now, there were a lot of waterfalls here, too. So while we're on our way to the beach and even after the beach, we did stop at a few of the waterfalls to see the beauty of these waterfalls. There's just water everywhere. It's from the melting glaciers, of course, but it's also from rainfall, melting snow. Uh, so you've got a lot of waterfalls everywhere. It's like my brother told us, oh, yeah, just wander around. You'll find a waterfall. They're everywhere. They are in Iceland. So the land of fire and ice, the fire, the volcanoes, the, the hot springs, all of this geothermal and the ice, the glaciers, the cold winters too, but I think they're mostly promoting it as the glaciers that you can go visit. There are ice caves too. We didn't go to any of the ice caves. They were in another section of Iceland. And like I said, we only had a week. When we have more time, we're going to go up into the northern part of Iceland where you can see some of these ice caves better. Now, we did go to this museum that they had right in Reykjavik. And they have a man-made ice cave so you can get a feel for what an ice cave is like. I highly recommend it if you go there. A little bit pricey, but it was worth it. Well worth it. They had a lot of other things in this museum as well, but just going through the ice cave, it wasn't real big, wasn't real long, but it was pretty cool to understand what an ice cave is like. And trust me, you needed a sweatshirt in there. It was cold, very cold. Now, another highlight of our week-long wanderings through Iceland was when my brother and his wife took us up to the Highlands. If you never heard of it, the Highlands in Iceland is basically the center of the country. It takes a while to get there. It probably took us about two hours to drive up into the Highlands. I would not recommend using a standard two-wheel drive car, or any car for that matter. You really need to have a Jeep or a four-wheel drive truck, something heavy-duty to get up there. You see, what you're doing is you're driving into a lava field. The road is just full of ruts, full of big rocks. You're constantly trying to avoid them. And all around you, all you see is rock, black rock. It's, it's a lava field. It's all dried, cooled lava. So that's all you're seeing all around you. So we drove up into the highlands. We got to the section where the lava fields were. And for about 45 minutes, you're driving right through these lava fields, going pretty slow because you can't go quick if you want to come out of there with your car in one piece. Yeah, it was pretty rough, but it was kind of cool. We finally got to our destination, which was another pretty interesting area. We got to this section of the Highlands where they had a parking lot and they also had a camp, a base. In order to get over to the base, you could park in the parking lot, but you have to cross a river. 
So there was a river there that you had to cross in order to get over to this base camp. And people would come there. They would cross the river. Luckily, my brother has a Jeep, four-wheel drive Jeep, and we easily got across the river. We got to the base camp. We parked in the parking lot, and right in front of us was a big open field, if you could call it a field. There's no grass. It was all just dirt and gravel. Remember, you're in a lava field here. So it's just dirt and gravel, and they had sections kind of rocked off. They had these circles of rocks where people have cleared it, and you can pitch your tent there. Now, they did have a makeshift latrine. Um, they had a building where the ranger would be. And from that point, they also had a lot of trails. Now, you look at this, and it's like, okay, this is cool. You're just camping in the middle of nowhere. So it was kind of neat. But then we got on the trail after we had our lunch, delicious lunch. My brother is a really awesome cook. But we had a delicious picnic lunch, and then we headed out onto the trail. Now, we headed across this bridge, hot springs. We had to go over this hot spring. And there is a section here where you could also go in swimming in, in the hot springs. But we crossed the river, the hot springs, and we started headed up into the mountains. Yeah, not really tall mountains at this point. But we went up into the mountains and we went through this little ravine and all of a sudden, it's just lava. Just lava field, cooled lava, not hot lava. No, I missed the eruption. But the lava field is just rocks and the trails were going through these dried up lava rocks. It was just amazing. And we spent quite a while traveling through here. There was something new to see around every corner, even though it's just a lava field. It was really pretty awesome. Now we kept going up and up and up and we finally got to this one point with a good look over and it looked down into this valley which actually was green. So when this volcano erupted many, many years ago, it missed this valley for some reason. And we could overlook this green valley. We saw some people hiking along a trail. We could have gone that way, and that would have taken us to what they call the Colored Mountains. Now, the Colored Mountains are essentially rhyolite mountains. Now, if you've never heard that term rhyolite before, basically what it means is it's the most silica-rich of volcanic rocks. So these mountains are made of rhyolite. And because of that, they're colorful. There's a whole bunch of different colors. So the rhyolite mountains can have colors like green, blue, yellow, black, sometimes even pink. We didn't go over into there. It just wasn't on our agenda. We didn't have a lot of time. And so we just stayed there, looked at some of them. But when we continued on through this lava field, up another mountain, had another stream coming down through this lava field, and you could actually see where the lava, where the volcano was. So we made it up to the point where the volcano was. Now, it wasn't active. It was an inactive volcano, but you could see how it looked like a volcano. You could see where the lava had burst over the side and poured all the way down into the area where we were hiking. 
So this was an inactive dormant volcano here. So we saw that area and then we continued on the trail, which kind of headed us back towards where we were parked, the base camp. On our way back, there was more climbing over these black rocks, a makeshift trail. We actually passed a, a young lady who was just going along with a paintbrush and a plastic bucket of paint. And she was painting the signs leading you in the direction that you needed to go. And she was just booking right along. We're taking our time because we, we were enjoying the sights. And then we kept going and all of a sudden we came down to where a larger river was coming through. And across the way, we can see um, some small streams coming down into this river. And we, the trail took us down by the river. And as we're walking along the river, all of a sudden you look up at the mountain on the other side of this river, the, the cliffs there, and they're all green in color. That's this rhyolite mountains. So the colors were just vibrant, bright. I remember when I was younger and used to paint with whatever colors I had, whatever color crayon, whatever color watercolors I had, everything was very colorful. Well, this is not painted. This is real. Yeah, the colored, the colored mountains. Next time I go back there, I'm planning on hiking into the colored mountains to see even more of them. But it's just a beautiful place, the highlands. Tough to get there. Like I said, you need the right equipment, right car, right vehicle. I did see some smaller cars and I just couldn't believe that they made it up there. Of course, they didn't go across the river. They probably would have been under. The river was a little bit deep. It actually was up to our door frames on our Jeep. But really awesome seeing the highlands. I highly recommend going to see the highlands if you get to Iceland. Now, I wanted to wrap up by talking a little bit about the wildlife in Iceland. And honestly, there isn't much. No, there aren't a lot of wild animals in Iceland. They do have animals like the Icelandic horse, it's not really wild. Some people claim that they're wild horses, but they are on farms and they're very highly regulated. You can't bring in any horse from any other country. And if an Icelandic horse leaves the country, it's not allowed to come back in. You see, it's a special breed that has been on the island of Iceland for hundreds of years. So it's very highly regulated as what you can do with these horses. You cannot breed it with an outside horse. They want to keep the bloodline very strict. But as far as wildlife, the wild animals that are actually in the wild, you have things like the Arctic fox. You have reindeer there. You also have some sheep, wild sheep. You have the wood mouse, and you also have some rabbits. Now, you will get a variety of birds, but mostly shorebirds. I noticed when I was in the interior of the island, I wasn't hearing a whole lot of birds. 
I wasn't seeing a whole lot of birds. There are some, but remember, there's not a lot of trees here, so they have very few places to nest. They have no place to build their homes, to find shelter. So there weren't a whole lot of birds. Most of the birds were like terns, um, the type of birds that hang out along the shore. So shorebirds, um, ocean birds. And of course, a highlight for me was seeing a puffin. Yeah, it's my first puffin that I've ever seen in the wild. I've seen pictures a dozen times, but I was finally able to add puffins to my life list, my birding life list. So that was pretty exciting, seeing the puffin. Uh, lots and lots of shorebirds. But as soon as you got more inland, very few birds. And I noticed when I was up in the highlands, I didn't hear or see a single bird there. Yeah, they they just weren't around. So not a lot of wildlife there, not a lot of wild animals. It just is not conducive to them. So that was my trip to Iceland. I do highly recommend anyone going, wandering to Iceland. It's a wonderful place. It's a beautiful place. And the people, they were just great. They were wonderful. They were very accommodating that I didn't speak their language, not an easy language to learn, but they were very accommodating to me, which is something I really appreciated. I'm really looking forward to going back. I hope you enjoyed learning about Iceland with me and wandering through the country. Don't forget to invite your nature-loving friends to join us. If you haven't already, please hit the subscribe button and take a minute to rate and review the podcast. If you ever have any nature questions or ideas for future episodes, please feel free to drop me a DM on my Instagram page at the nature wanderer underscores in between each word or my my website at naturewanderer.org. You can also support the podcast by becoming a patron on my Patreon page. Gives you a lot of extras, videos, education classes, pictures, and much more. Or go to my Ko-Fi page. The links are both in the show notes. Show your support of the podcast and your love of nature by supporting a Nature Wander t-shirt water bottle. I'm spending some time in the past couple of weeks putting some new merchandise on there also so check it out uh, there's plenty on there link to my store is on my website and also in the show notes and above all have a great week and keep exploring the nature around you hello nature lovers do you love to read books like I do? I've always enjoyed reading books ever since I was a kid, especially books about nature. Unfortunately, as I get older, I find myself with less and less time to sit down with a good book. I've solved that problem with Audible. Audible allows you to listen to your favorite titles while you are driving at the gym, taking a walk, wherever you are. With all the latest titles, you'll have quite a selection to choose from. And they have podcasts, too. Start listening today with a free 30-day trial. To get your free 30-day trial, go to the show notes and click on the link. Happy listening.